Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So delighted to be joined the line by Scotland Centre, Graham Morrison. Graham, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Surviving and uh, thriving through the lockdown period. Uh, glad there's no camera on because it's been a pretty pretty hot day up in Glasgow and I've uh, got a bit, a bit of burn to the firehead. So um, yeah, I'm doing well, um, as well as can be. And uh, yeah, it's good to, be, good to be on with you guys. Nice one. So that, is, that, is that you based back in Glasgow now then? Sort of, have you sort of settled down there? I lived in, in the west end of Glasgow up until two years ago. Um, I, I did. I did. Uh, I was working at the Royal Bank of Scotland in Edinburgh. And moved jobs to the city centre of Glasgow, um, but then my family started to expand. Um, I've got three three very young children, mm. the oldest being five, um, and so we decided to move out uh, so that we could have a garden and have somewhere other than uh, you know, a couple of flights of stairs up. And my wife was having to battle three kids up every day, so <laughs> just on the outskirts, outskirts of Glasgow, a place called Abingston, but. Yeah. Um, I guess that's where I'm working from at the moment because that's what we've been doing for the past five months. Yeah, definitely. And and for the people who don't know, what what is your sort of career post post rugby these days? What what fills your time? Uh, I'm a chartered accountant um, with a firm called Johnston Carmichael, who are you know they're one of the, the largest firm of CAs in Scotland. Um, yeah, it was a slightly different career path um, or trajectory than one that I was on a few years ago playing rugby but um, yeah I, I guess the things kind of work in mysterious ways and I've put myself through that three qualification uh, and thoroughly enjoying what I do now um, working in corporate finance. Nice one and how, how much do you do you miss sort of that day-to-day rugby or is it kind of you know far enough behind you now that that's just you know this different stage of your life that you what you're doing right now? I think um there's not a day that goes by that I 
don't miss it, but it's it's missing different aspects of it than, than playing rugby, to be honest. Um, when I finished, um, I had several operations on my knees. Up to, you know, my fingers are very well, or very close to having arthritis. My nose was you know, broken several times. And so that aspect of that I don't really miss. Mm. Um, having said that, when I hung the boots up, that, that was what I missed. I just loved being out there and um, kind of keeping fit, playing with the boys and, you know, going into battle on Friday night because that's what it's all about but as, as time goes on and, and sort of the hair gets a bit greyer or the beard hair because I've got none on top it, it kind of uh, <laughs> it's, it's missing it's missing other aspects of it and, and the thing is I miss the, the team um, sure. I miss the boys I miss the, the kind of camaraderie and the requirement to have incredibly thick skin um, the change room stuff that you don't really get in the corporate world yeah um, uh, because if you did, you'd probably be in front of HR and, uh, <laughs> yeah. every other day. So um, it, it's, it's that, that element of it. And I guess the other things that come with it are, you know, the kind of discipline and real uh, real desire to be successful and the um, the kind of responsibility that you and your peers have to, to drive those standards to each other as well mm. and the accountability. So, yeah, I miss, I miss all that stuff. But, you know, as, as I said, um, I don't miss having to limp to the, to the bathroom at four in the morning because I can't, I can't walk after a tough game. Yeah. Have, have you been tempted by any kind of like club rugby or anything? I see that, you know, Glasgow Ackies seem to have a new ex-Glasgow player every every six months. I see they've just signed Rue Jackson as well as player coach. I have to check the salary cap on that one. But, yeah. Um, I think um, given the nature of my retirement and it was, it was through being, you know, pretty badly injured in the knee, um, my last season, you know, it was a case of kind of playing a match, um, and if it was a really physical match, it'd probably be a couple of weeks before I could fully straighten my right my right leg, um, and then I'd sort of get back fit and playing and uh, play another match, and it would be another couple of weeks. It just wasn't sustainable. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, I'd, to throw the boots back on for the odd game would, would yeah love to do it but it's just I don't think it's possible but mm. it's also just, just not worth it to be honest if, if I took another knock then I wouldn't be able to run around my kids I don't think what, so, so the bright lights of kind of Glasgow Ackies against West of Scotland just doesn't <laughs> doesn't quite do it for you well do you know what if, if, if they had a, a kind of reserve 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 list and I found myself on it then I could, I could live with that <laughs> good, to, good to be thought about but um, yeah at the moment I'll, I'll pass yeah. Uh, if they moved, if they moved rugby this summer, then potentially. But uh, at the moment, I'm quite happy to watch from the sidelines. And and what about coaching? Did that? Do you sort of you know keep your hand in with that? Did that ever interest you? It did, and you know, um, there, there were kind of a couple of options that I had. Um, one of which was to go back to Hong Kong, which is where I was born and brought up. My parents still live in Hong Kong, and to get involved with Hong Kong rugby and coaching, and I could probably um, find a job there with with union or um, doing a kind of you know sports related um, business development type role. Yeah. But I kind of you know by the end of my tenth season with Glasgow um, and all the injuries and all the kind of highs and lows and you know selection woes and I just wanted to take a step back from from the game and, and fall in love with it again as a kind of spectator. Um, mm. You know, I, I, I do love rugby and I've never kind of stopped, but it was just, I just need a bit of a break from it. Um, and then the kind of realisation that when you actually look at, you know, particularly Scottish coaches, um, only a handful of them will kind of make it to the top 
Yeah. And I was literally starting out a new family. I thought, you know, I need, I need to build another career here. And I think um, if I go into coaching, I'll probably be prolonging the inevitable mm. um, for myself. Um, you know, a couple of years down the line, if, if I didn't, if I didn't kind of make it or break through, um, then I'd be in the exact same position. Whereas if I get some tools, develop some other skills for later life now, I can always go back to coaching at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, but it'll be a lot harder to hit the books when, you know, you're kind of 40, 45 than it was when I retired mm. seven years ago. So, um, yeah, maybe when my two young sons are kind of hitting it up through the minis, yeah. um, I may dip my, my, my input at the moment, um, just focused on developing my new career and trying to get as successful as I can in that area first. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, go, going back to your, your, your old, your old career, your, your first career, as it were, your rugby career, um, Maybe we could just sort of take you back right right to the start and just what sort of your your earliest memories are of, of picking up a rugby ball, involvement in a club, that that kind of thing. What were those sort of earliest memories? Well I think, you know, growing up in growing up in Hong Kong, rugby wasn't um, uh, you know, as popular as it is over in Scotland and there wasn't a huge amount of opportunity. Um, with the same amount of opportunity as there was in Scotland. So, but having said that, I, I you know, I certainly remember the sevens coming to town every year, and, and as a young boy going along to that and seeing guys like Sarevi, um, even that's where Lomu kind of burst onto the scene, guys like that, and that just definitely, you know, kind of pricked up the attention. My dad had um, played a bit of rugby in Hong Kong, and he'd represented Scotland me, so I knew that I had a bit of a pedigree. Um, yeah. Sent across the boys' school to Dollar Academy um, at quite an early age. Um, and the boarding house I was in, uh, the boarding house master was a guy called John Foster, who, who was the coach of the, the first team at the time. So I had eight years in the boarding house with, with him. Mm. Um, he also coached Harriers for, for a time while I was at school. So I kind of I was he was with me twenty four seven. I'd kind of you know the, the fire started to get stoked, and he would definitely you know kind of uh, keep my interest going. And I became really close to him, almost like a you know kind of father figure. And right. He definitely kind of kept kept that sort of desire going, and just wanted the best for me. And the fact that I was in his boarding house um, kind of I, I think made him quite proud when you know when I started to make it big. And um, so yeah, that, that my earliest memories are just really kind of the lessons that he taught me, the culture that he he kind of gave me from an early age. And yeah, he unfortunately passed away a few years ago with um, kind of MND related right. um, illness. So I, you know, hugely indebted to him. But yeah, my, my, my earliest memories are just the, the kind of long chats and the sessions that we used to have at, at school with him, and um, you know that they were essentially the things that they got me to where I got to. Yeah, for sure. And 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 when when did you sort of start to think, um, you know, I'm not too bad at this. This this could be a a potential career path. Uh, we had we had a pretty successful school side when I was at when I was at school and. Um, you know, we kind of did, we, did, we didn't lose many games. We, we maybe mm. lost a handful in, in the kind of eight-year period that, that we played together as a, as a new group. Um, and it was kind of when I hit fourth, fifth year, where I started getting noticed by the age group selectors. Um, but also, just uh, you know, actually one day Jim Telfer and Ian McGeechan came to Dollar to speak to a few of the guys, uh, myself included, just to find out what our plans were for the future. And at that point, I was like, oh, shit, yeah. you know, we could be we could be on here. Um, and then I played, I played 21s uh, while I was still at the school. Um, really? And Shortland, yeah. There was, I went on a, I went on a, a kind of, I was going to mini tour down to England with 21s and I was blown away because I was 
Jeez. Yeah, I was pretty young on that, that tour, but uh, yeah. it gave me a taste for it. Sean Lanine was the bank's coach at the time. And again, we, we were kind of, I guess, similar personalities. He, uh, he played center as well. So, um, I guess he, he saw me as a bit of a, a bit of a project. Um, mm. And told me that if I kind of stuck at it, then you know I'd, I'd be able to go far. And so I was fortunate that he was my 21s coach for a couple of seasons, and then became the, the, the backs coach at Glasgow. And when I saw that he'd signed, I thought there was a good chance that um, that he may give me an opportunity if I kept my head down. And, and thankfully, he did. Mm. Um, thankfully, he did. Now, when I say I kept, kept my head down, I still had that sort of period of leaving school and going to uni and um, finding out what the nightlife outside the dollar was like, which was uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty detrimental to both my career prospects and my kind of body fat percentage so um, he, he definitely um, he definitely uh, cracked the whip a little bit when he did sign me because I had a lot, a lot to owe him but uh, that was the start and he was my coach at Glasgow for several years and um, again hugely indebted to uh, Sean for that Was there a kind of was there an academy set up at, at that time that, that you were like assigned to? There wasn't actually no so I, I kind of finished school um, I played for the Hawks for uh, you know a couple of seasons, and mm-hmm. then and then he gave me the opportunity, and, and there wasn't really a, a setup, like kind of setup. And I was just told, you know, bide your time. And I remember meeting um, the club doctor Jerry Haggerty, and he's like, you know, um, from a med- my first medical, and he said, don't you know, don't get disheartened. You know, you you your first year pro, you're very young. You'll probably not play much this season. Um, I think I played uh, you know all but a handful of games that year. Um, and then got, got my first cap for Scotland. So it was a huge, it was a huge learning curve. Um, mm. I definitely remember being very uncomfortable with trying to get my head around the multi-phase approach and the systems and particularly in defence. It was like a, a foreign language. You know, you go from club rugby into pro rugby and it's a proper, uh, it's a proper step up mm. um, with the various systems and calls. But that was something that, you know, since from a very early age I, I wanted to do and, it was it was yeah, it was a dream come true to to be able to do that. What well, who who was your um, Glasgow debut against? Do you, do you remember much of, of that match? It was it was a preseason friendly against Newcastle Falcons, um, right? And it was that Hewenden in Glasgow, beautiful weather. I just remember not being able to eat for a couple of days before. Sure. I was so nervous. Yeah. Um, my opposite man, I believe, was a former All Black. Uh, which I, I can't remember his name. His first name was Mark, but um, I guess he was coming to the end of his career, and I was kicking off. So uh, yeah, is that Maple Top? That, that, that was it. That yeah. Was it. Um, so I was pretty pretty nervous, but uh, did reasonably well. Uh, played played reasonably well, and then uh, the second game was um, away the following week to Gloucester, um, and I was on the bench for that one, and I came came off the bench and scored a try. So um, the first two games were, were pretty pretty good, pretty positive for me. Um, and then we just cracked on from there. Who were the sort of uh, big characters that you were in the team that you were coming into at that, at that point? We had um, there was quite a few of the old school players. Um, Glenn Metcalf was one that stands out for me. Is mm-hmm. kind of he was, he was a superstar for Scotland, um, and then you kind of go into the team environment with him and just couldn't believe it because he was someone I'd, I'd watched, um, you know, as a schoolboy, uh, and then actually he's kind of standing right next to him in a huddle um, and he's kind of inspiring you was was huge um, but really really good guy off the pitch he was he was part of the old school and he was um, he was all the hierarchy as well so you know if we if we played an away game he would be like right you're going around the team room and you're getting coffees for everyone mm-hmm. um, 
and that that was that was fine because you know when you we, when you're able to let your hair down and enjoy it, he was always the first to make sure you were well looked after. So um, he he was he was definitely a, a good inspiration. But then guys like Gordy Bullock, um, Cammy Mather was the captain at the time. Mm. Johnny Petrie was in the team, and then you've got your Donny McFadgins, the kind of great beverages, all the guys that played for Scotland, which was just a huge a huge uh, thing to be part of. And you know. Uh, playing in the centre with Andy Henderson as well, just um, a pretty pretty long list of, of fairly household Scottish rugby playing names that uh, I was I was very fortunate to be part of. Yeah, definitely. Did did you kind of have that um, a bit of the crossover with the kind of semi pro side of things as well? Like, how, how much did that change in all the time that you you spent at at Glasgow? Was it still a, you know a very professional environment at that time? I would say not. Uh, <laughs> we definitely, uh, we definitely didn't conduct ourselves in the manner when I started at Glasgow to when I finished at Glasgow. We had, um, I mean, it was fully professional. I mean, rugby had been professional for a, a few years yeah. at that point, but I guess there was the mentality. Um, some of some of the guys had, had played in both years and had gone from amateurs into the pro ranks, um, and when it had been kind of less as professional. Um, and so, yeah, there were the odd midweek session. Uh, you'd hear tales of, of boys kind of going out potentially even before games. But um, that kind of got weeded out pretty quickly um, when when the coaching staff kind of caught wind of, maybe not caught wind, but when we, we just weren't performing, when we were losing, when we were finishing bottom of the table, mm. um, you know, we, we kind of had, something had to change. And the coaching staff did um, kind of, get rid of quite a lot of that mentality and, and unfortunately that meant some players had to go because you know they were driving driving those uh, those behavioural issues but uh, you know it's, it's, it's a business and it's about like being as good as you can be and you know stealing a living um, as a professional rugby player ahead of someone who would give an arm to be there um, is something we soon realised that we were actually doing yeah. um, and needed to, to buckle up or, or we'd probably find ourselves in a different profession sooner than our time so yeah I'd say first couple of years was uh, yeah a huge honour to be there but were we doing everything we could possibly do as, as a group of people no um, and you know pleased to say that, uh, that Glasgow kind of started at that point and, and just got better and better because because the culture improved so much over the years and who, who was sort of the main driver of that cultural shift because as you say it is amazing you know the the progress that Glasgow made from sort of scrambling around the bottom of the table to yeah. you know competing at the top yeah I'd say uh, I'd say kind of first and foremost Sean Lanine probably had a, a big say on that um, you know when I first joined Glasgow we did we did get given a kind of set of core values um, which which really didn't mean too much to us they kind of handed to us and we were expected to kind of live them mm-hmm. um, and Sean actually placed a lot of emphasis on really kind of bringing the team together um, and really kind of becoming a much tighter unit but also you know, behaving ourselves and conducting ourselves in the manner that we should do and he was very big on kind of pre-season weekends away and a lot of team building stuff um, you know pretty pretty cringeworthy stuff like where we'd, we'd be put into groups and we'd have to over the course of kind of uh, a, a weekend away, come up with a, a play, perform it in front of the other lads, which was uh, which was hugely oh, right. embarrassing, but uh, incredibly, um, 
useful tool in, in terms of build, building team, team spirit and team culture. Mm. But it was also the sessions with Sean to come up with what the culture should look like and what the value should be. And when you start to sort of, you know, come up with them yourselves and feel connected to them, they automatically become more powerful and you kind of automatically want to, to live them a bit more. Mm. So I'd say he was a hugely influential in, in that. He also was very good at, um, I guess, targeting younger players that he believes had a, had a good future. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was back in the day where, you know, it's probably no secret that Edinburgh were, were the team. You know, they were yeah, much yeah. more successful. Um, you know, as a player, you, you, as a Glasgow player, you probably thought that they had a bigger budget and that a lot more funds got funneled towards Edinburgh. Yeah. They got the players like Todd Blackadder, the, the Brendan Laney's, and I think with a with well a perceived, perceived smaller budget, Sean was very good at identifying younger players that he thought would grow and would get better. And you mm. look at players like you know, Sean Lamont, you know, to an extent myself, um, who stayed with the team then as brothers, mm-hmm. even even P Horn, guys yeah. like that. But then he it was actually Sean who brought Al across from Edinburgh to Glasgow and made him captain. And yeah. Al Al Kellock was Again, probably a hugely, in, well, not probably, but definitely a hugely influential person and reason that the culture of Glasgow improved because, you know, even if you, if you speak to them now, that's what it's all about. For it. It's all about, you know, that excellence and that discipline and a huge, a huge culture. And because we had this group of players, this young group of players, and Al coming as captain, that, that we were going to be the sort of backbone of the team for for several years. Mm. We all just kind of grew together in, in that regard, and we all became senior players. And it, we'd we'd grown up together and wanted to do that. And, uh, as a result of that, it became it became a really powerful tool. It's really interesting that the sort of point you bring up about Edinburgh was was that when you were going into the um, the, the sort of the Scottish rival matches. Um, was that like a motivating factor? Did you kind of see yourselves as as underdogs? Um, and did like you know, do, do those matches have that kind of more of an edge than than other matches in the Pro Fourteen? Or is it a bit odd that you're maybe playing against like Scotland teammates, for instance? Yeah. Um, so I guess I guess the first the first kind of caveat is, is that uh, that's, that's how it was perceived. I can't I can't definitely say that uh, we had a bigger budget, but the players they had they had like you know Chris Parsons now of course he he kind of grew up as an Edinburgh player, um, but when Tom Blackadder went there, when Brendan Laney went there, they, they had they had a great team, and, mm. and you know you know potentially they they built that internally themselves, but. Yeah, of course, playing in those those eighteen seventy two cup games were huge. Um, players now will probably tell you, "Oh, you know, it's just not a game." But I can tell you right now, it's not. Like it's, it's uh, it is a derby match, um, and in any sport, a derby match is a big match. Mm. Um, and so, playing against your mates in the national squad, it doesn't really matter. You know, rugby's a game where you are as attritional as you possibly can be on the pitch, regardless of who you're playing against, uh, and probably even more so if you know that person because. Um, you know that physical dominance and that one-upmanship is, is huge. It's, it's, it's all about the competition, and it's being able to then you know have a couple of beers afterwards and then put your arm around them and get back on with them. But hugely, hugely um, motivating. And you know they were the unofficially unofficial trial. And if you played a couple of good 1872 Cup games and, and really stood out, then 
the small the small pool of, of players we have in Scotland, you you were definitely going to put your hand in, hand up for for international honours at some point. You you met you mentioned earlier obviously that that international debut. I mean, obviously it came about really quickly. When did you sort of find out that you were on the the radar of the coaches at, at the time? Who who what was it? Matt Williams was coach at the time. It was it was yeah. So Matt um, put together his first squad, which was quite a big squad um, for a training camp in Sterling, and I was included in it. And again, again, some of the, a lot of the younger players, like the short months that if you go South Wales. All these guys that were kind of like relatively unheard of, but had just come into the Scottish game, and um, he Matt, I mean, Matt was my first international coach, right? So um, again, a huge, huge amount of um, respect and gratitude for for him picking me and, and giving me the opportunity. Yeah. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was at that point I thought we could be we could be in, in, in line here for selection. There's a, there's a tour to Australia in this season. He's obviously building to that. Um, it'd be great to be involved in that. Um, and my first couple of involvements in the national camp—they were just training camps, uh, pretty much bag holding. I didn't—I didn't expect any more than that. But yeah. it was just great to be part of there, part, part of that, to be with players like the, the aforementioned guys I said Glasgow. But then you've got your, your kind of Jason White, your you know your uh, your Tom Smith, um, mm. those kind of guys, uh, real real household names in Scottish rugby. Um, and then you know I got I got selected for that tour to Australia, which was which was my first taste of okay selection here here we go and um, uh, it was it was a five week tour to Australia it was a huge you know, hugely important thing for me to, to be involved in that and um, yeah it was, it was a great achievement. What what are your memories of Matt Williams as a coach? Obviously he sort of like gets quite a lot of stick and it's it's probably a period of of Scottish rugby history that most fans like to. Forget, yeah. but you know um, it kind of been all yeah. all bad. He's done. He's done. He's done good things. He did good things with Ireland, and he did. You know, he's, he's, he did well with Leinster. You know, he was again my my first international coach. So I didn't. I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. But, um, I guess some of the senior players, and, and he didn't really see eye to eye. Um, he uh, looking back, it was very prescriptive rugby. Um, I think that he inherited a Scotland team that were underperforming um, and he realised that and he tried to strip it right back to the basics like right back to the basics so you know the first the first 10 minutes of a training session would be literally standing static um, facing down the pitch and, and doing pendulum swing passes to each other because we weren't very good at passing um, or, or, so, or so he led us to believe so, so that, that's what it was it was really getting the basics trying to get the basics nailed on and I think some of the the more seasoned pros were like what, what is going on here like let's just go and play rugby and um, let's play some heads up rugby but I think that Matt's kind of ideas were that you really had to sort of build strong basic skills which is what any coach will do and any coach will tell you I mean the All Blacks their basics are absolutely phenomenal Yeah. but I think potentially too much emphasis was placed on the fact that we weren't very good at the basics rather than you know just making them excellent um, so you know um, yeah listen, I'm hugely hugely grateful that he gave them my first cap um, but you know the, potentially the shackles that he put on the team um, because he wanted he wanted us to do things his way in order to succeed. Um, we're, we're probably holding some of that that playing group back. Yeah. And what what are your memories 
that remain from that first cap? Were you sort of equally as nervous as before your your first Glasgow cap, or was it sort of maybe a different level? Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Our Australian ground, the crowd, had never experienced it. And it was, yeah. it was just, I was absolutely shocked. I think it was Drew Mitchell's debut. Oh, really? Um, and so, you know, he's gone on to be one of the great players. And I remember him, him being a great player that day. Mm. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I've absolutely stuffed my chances of any kind of test match on this after that. <laughs> and we went through the, the video debrief and I got sort of called out for, you know, my sloppy defence. Um, and the second game was then against the, the Warriors And I got, I, I was, you know, I played against Nathan Gray was my awesome man. Mm. And I had, I, had, I had the game of my life. Like it was one of my best games. Um, to date in the jersey and the coaches were very complimentary afterwards um, and then you know a few days later I was named on the bench to start uh, to, to, to play against Australia um, which you know when I think when that team got read out I started to feel a bit faint in the room um, <laughs> just, 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 just because of the, the the magnitude and the huge honour that it was but um, yeah. I, yeah, I can't really remember too much of, of the game other than I came on for about nine minutes Collapsed them all, gave a penalty away, and uh, <laughs> you know we we you know we were losing about half thirty points anyway. So, um, but it was good to be on there. Sure. Was there a a kind of um, initiation or anything that you had to do afterwards from the time? Well, it was a short turnaround, so I think it was a six day turnaround. Um, so we got told, right, boys, under no circumstances are you going out tonight. Right, and. Uh, so that, that's not to say we didn't because uh, I was sure I remember sort of going to going to the hotel bar just to you know maybe have a pint um, you, you could you could have a couple in the hotel but I remember then sort of having a beer and just starting to leave to go to my room and a couple of the boys were like where are you going I was like oh, I'm just in my room and you're like no you're not you're going first camp we're going out 
not name names, but um, yeah. a couple of the older boys took took me out, and uh, we definitely uh, we definitely did go out that night. And um, albeit a short turnaround, we <laughs> we struggled we struggled through the week and played again on the weekend. So um, yeah, it was it was a good it was a good it was a good old time. But I guess that that was you know that was still of that era where some players would do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and nowadays that's just that's completely that's completely gone. And, and for the better, and for the better, um, <laughs> it's all about performance uh, recovery. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and when you when you sort of came back from that tour, did that kind of really like focus your your attention on you know I want to be starting for Scotland, like you know I, I want to get better and better? Did you know was that a sort of change in, in mindset that you went through? It, it, it was, and it, I tasted international rugby in my first season. You know, I was kind of twenty one years old, and I was like. You know, this is this is what I want to be doing. Um, I did say to you that you know my my year at uni um, was probably a bit too social for for a good springboard into professional rugby, and I was I was I was pretty unfit and pretty kind of unhealthy. Um, and it was all about the education of that side of things. You know, we I never sort of had to keep a food diary or speak to a nutritionist before, and so it was yeah. you know probably eating things that I didn't realise were actually that bad for me. And, you know, I know, I know the drinking's not good for you, but the temptation as a, as a young student, where all my mates were going out, was was too, was too much. But I, I played my first my first six caps, um, four of which were against Australia, so real real tough games. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess you know my performances probably weren't consistently good enough, and I, I got dropped from the national team um, after that, and spent close to four years in the wilderness and you know, just kind of getting my game up to speed with, with Glasgow getting a lot fitter um, getting a lot more mature uh, you know kind of more game savvy and clever um, and then after that you know I put in several good performances in, in the, the Glasgow shirt and yes you know Frank Adam gave me the next chance and mm. uh, I, st- I stayed in the team or thereabouts for for the next few years until until I had to retire. So, um, looking back, you know, I'd wish I'd, I wish I'd probably gone into professional rugby in, in you know a better mindset, a better mm. state, and um, kind of knew more what it was about. But you know, I kind of went from the amateur era into professional rugby with no academy set up, and it was kind of it was a very steep learning curve. Yeah, um, and some some players adapted to that really well, um, and I just took a little bit longer. Um, but I think that being out of the national team for that period of time and then going back into it, uh, I was so, so hungry to be there and to stay there. Mm. But I also learned a lot uh, and I felt I was probably more ready. Yeah, yeah. And it, over, over that period where you, from, from when you got back into the Scotland setup, you know, who, who are the coaches that you sort of, you know, got, got on best with and kind of fitted your philosophy and you know style of play that that sort of thing who did you like working with yeah well frank frank was the coach and everyone knows frank liked to play a wide wide game yeah frank liked to play the ball wide uh, his edinburgh back line that, that he'd had when he was there they, they were very good at just getting the ball out there um and that worked for a period of time but then you know if you just pepper the ball wide to wide, it's quite easy to defend against. Um, defenses can read you and learn that you're going to play and how you're going to play, and they can just kind of, you know, soak up your your yardage and, and start beating you with with their defence. So, um, Frank wasn't wasn't the national 
coach for a huge amount of time that I was there. I really liked his the style of play. It was attractive. It was good to watch. It was exciting to be part of. Um, but it was just it just wasn't winning us was too many games. But yeah. you know, in the, in that time, Sean Lenin was was involved in the backs coaching. So I had you know I had him as a good sort of friendly uh, kind of mentor, go to guy when I was there. Alan Tate was the defence coach and huge respect from him as, as a player and as a coach so um, it was again huge, huge to be involved with, with good quality coaches of that nature and then and then I guess Gregor got involved in, in the setup when, mm. when Andy Robinson took over um, which was the next coach um, and, and you know he's, he's just a class operator so um, there's always been someone that I've kind of really looked up to and really admired and learned a lot from when I've been in the national setup and, and that's been that's been good Was it ever kind of um frustrating that when you were lining up in the centre you were probably playing a Scotland team that was a bit more forward orientated than than other teams did, did you feel that as a as a as a as an inside back I think you know and I, I was I was one of the bigger backs as well and suited to a certain style of play that um that was after me you know I was asked to take the ball up and gain yards um which, which may not have been to everyone's taste, but, you know, if the coach is asking you to do that, that's what you're going to do. It's one of yeah. my strengths and it was, was one of my strengths in playing. And we played at a time where, you know, it was a period where the Scottish team didn't score many tries. And that, for, as a player, was hugely frustrating as well. We had a, great, a good set of forwards and we did have a good set of backs, um, but we just couldn't kind of connect the two together and um, potentially the style that we were playing and the game plans that we had weren't really giving us the opportunity to, to play. Because you look at the, the guys, the way you have Sean Lamont, over 100 caps, you had your Chris Pash, the Evans brothers, you know, I played in the centre, uh, Nick DeLuke was in the centre, Simon Webster played in the centre. There's guys that, that could attack. Yeah. Um, but we just weren't putting it all together. So I think, yeah, I think when you say kind of forward-oriented, our forwards were probably, you know, on the strength of the team. Yeah, um, and, and the banks we just we just didn't really capitalise. Um, so so it was frustrating, and, and, and frustrating to be part of a team that didn't score many tries because over time now Scotland do score do mm. score a lot of tries, and they've got yeah you know, they've got exciting really exciting players. But I think the difference was the the, the playing pool and the, the the group of players that there were to select from. We used to joke about it that it was harder to get out of the team than it was to get into the team <laughs> because the coaches had their, their faithful guys and there wasn't much in the way of depth yeah, the yeah. jar of backup players mm. and I'll put my hand up and say I'll, I'll probably be included in that but nowadays you look at the Scotland team and you know we couldn't guess what the team was in the World Cup what it was going to be from week to week because you know the, the menu of players that the coaches had to select from was yeah. was so much better um, and that's that's been a huge a huge thing that Scotland have done over the over the past few years, and that's to develop several guys in several different positions that can step up and play. Where potentially, you know, uh, during periods of my time, there, there wasn't there wasn't that that luxury. Do, do you ever look at sort of the maybe the Gregor Townsend team of uh, you know when he first came into the role, you know, you know, pretty open style of play, and think you know I would have enjoyed to be. I would enjoy being being part of that. Um, that where where sort of you know playing outside Finn, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I played with Finn a wee bit at Glasgow, and you know he's he's just he is a maverick. He's he's been kind of branded that uh, by by many people, but it, but it's true. You 
mm. don't know what, he, what, he, what he's going to do and as a result of that defence just, just haven't got a clue at times so, um, so it's, been, it's been it's been great to watch him kind of pull the strings uh, at times for Scotland um, at times the kind of lack of structure that he does play to can, can look a bit bad and shoot, shoot him in the foot but yeah. more often than not I think it's, it's great to see um, and it's what Scotland need they need someone like that who can who can do that and, and let the rest of the world rugby stuff and say they've got a good they've got a good stand off there. Um, so yeah, it would have been good to do, but I think you know um, it, it's just across the team um, that, that they're able to play that rugby and you know the back row that Scotland have at the moment are phenomenal. Um, a couple of them being to, to be in the Lions, yeah, uh, had, had a great season with Edinburgh and great World Cups and people like and those, those boys are really good. Um, the front row, you know, guys like Fagerson. You know, Rory Sullivan are you know, again being tipped to, to, to hit the line to it. That platform that the backs have to, to attack off is, is huge. So um, I just think they've got a much more well-rounded team that links up and clicks together than than I did at any time that I was playing. Mm. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear your your take on the the World Cup in 2011 and just that kind of overall experience and what your kind of main memories are from from going down to New Zealand for the FAD tournament yeah um, you know I, 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 I'd become established in the Scotland team and, and one thing I hadn't done was go to the World Cup mm. um, in 2007 I was part of the 38 man training squad and I was one of the eight players that didn't make it which was which was hugely disappointing yeah yeah um, particularly as I felt that you know we, we'd kind of been told at the start Season that if you really conducted yourself well and you like excelled in X, Y, and Z, you know there's a good chance you'd you'd be on that plane. And I made a real effort of you know properly focusing on being as, as good as I could have possibly been, and um, I was as strong as I could have been, I was fit as I could have been. And we had leaderboards in, in the gym, and I managed to sort of find myself on, on most of the leaderboards for fitness and wow. strength and all that stuff. And, and it was sort of a huge, it was a huge disappointment not to go. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, everything happens for a reason and, um, you know, knuckled down. And, and when Andy Robinson became coach of Scotland, um, I think I was one of his go-to guys um, and would would thankfully be, you know, one of the one of the first names on a team sheet in, in his earlier days of coaching the national team. Yeah. So going to New Zealand, to me, this is, this is going to be probably my last chance at a World Cup. Um, so let's 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 uh, like give it everything I've got. And I remember the week, but I think it was a week or two before we went to the World Cup. We were still doing preseason training, and um, there were rumours that the afternoon fitness was going to be um, fifty one hundred meter back to backs uh, on the pitch with fifty. <laughs> and so we were like, "There's just no way we can do that." And lo and behold, after lunch, we all went out there and Red Boys get on the line, you're going to do 5,100 meter sprints back to back um, in blocks of 10, not much rest. And Jeez. through that, um, there's a couple of things. Yeah, it was an incredibly tough fitness session to do, but it also was a tool to help us pull each other through. Yeah. Um, and to kind of work as a team to, to get through the pain um, because you're going to have to do that on a game day. Um, but unfortunately, like, what a session like that just wasn't great for me, and I, I got a stress fracture in my shin. And so, the World Cup for me was incredibly painful because I was on the 
trying to get you know like not part of things mm. through the sessions um but we were at a world cup and i was prepared to do everything i possibly could to play um but unfortunately we, we had a we had a tough old time like we i had the first game was against romania which we almost lost um in fact we were losing for most of the game yeah, yeah. then we played against georgia which was very close we were based in invercargill which if you don't know it's kind of very southern town in New Zealand and it's, it's yeah it's kind of based on Scotland but it really is quite a backward town um, and the facilities and, and hotels were, were were very basic um, and we played the first two games on this pitch which you know was a bit of a quagmire so there was just no opportunity to really start getting some fluid rugby going whereas in our group you had Argentina you had England based kind of elsewhere playing their games completely dry roof on yeah, and yeah. Ability to just start gaining some momentum. So when we went into you know playing Argentina, I'd say we were probably a little bit undercooked. Um, and that's you know uh, I don't want to sound like I'm blaming blaming the environment and circumstance, but I guess that's how it felt. We'd we'd never had a chance to really string some rugby together because mm. we were playing in you know pissing with by rain on a, a quagmire. Um, and so we we kind of probably were a little bit undercooked, and it was disappointing because we we didn't get out of the group. Um, and yeah, came yeah. Home between tail between the legs so for me um, it, it was tough it was, it was hard mentally it was physically painful but you know you can never take away the fact that I was in New Zealand the kind of religion is rugby there um, rugby is religion and, and they just I mean it was a hugely welcoming country um, a hugely um, impressive to be a part of that yeah. um, every, every time we, we kind of went to another airport there was yeah, hundreds of people there singing flowers, Scotland, all the flags, um, kind of getting welcomed with a haka. It was, it was, it was emotional, and it was, it was great to be part of. Um, so I've got yeah, kind of mixed memories of it. Yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Like I remember watching that the match against your last match in the World Cup against uh, Argentina, and I mean the game was almost there for the taking, but it felt as if like the, the team, you know, like started to put together some rugby towards the end of the match. Um, and it was just like, the kind of like, you know, fine, fine margins between, you know, the team potentially going on to do something a bit, you know, pretty big in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I mean, they scored a try with probably five, five or six missed tackles, which, uh, which wasn't the reason we lost the game. I mean, I, uh, going over the video review is incredibly painful because no one really played to their potential again. Right. Pissing, pissing wet night, but we made a lot of errors and just didn't didn't really click. Going through the video, seeing there was glaring opportunities for us to kind of move the ball one way and we'd gone the other way. Um, so just a lot of on-field poor decision-making by the players, uh, myself included. Um, but yeah, you know, I think um, you, you, look at, you look at that and you know, 99% of the people putting that down on paper before the game would say Argentina would be Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those were the games we lost because we were kind of meant to lose them. Mm. And what's, I guess, a bit positive now is that those games, Scotland will win. Yeah. Where, 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 where it becomes a bit, bit of an arm wrestle, Scotland will come out on top more often than, than they won't. Um, and then I guess as a, as a Scottish person and for a player, that, that's, that's hugely positive. And what, what, um, what, what Scotland games do you sort of look back most, most fondly? What are your sort of favourite favorite fixtures? I mean, I've played, so I've played England three times. Um, I won one, drew one, and lost one. 
Um, so the Calcutta Cup victory that we had in 2009, yeah. eight or nine, was, um, it was my kind of welcome back into the team after four years. And um, that was that was just brilliant for me. My, my dad had flown over from Hong Kong oh, wow. literally for the, for the weekend. Um, it was a pissing wet day at Minefield, which suited us to the team. Because, you know, we kind of were of that era where we yeah. didn't really <laughs> get the ball wide. Um, and just coming out on top of that game was, was brilliant um, because no one expected it either. I just remember kind of going around. Uh, we, we were allowed out for a few beers that night. And yeah. Just walking into kind of even restaurants, bars, whatever, just the lift that that victory gave Scotland was was huge to, to kind of be part of. Mm. Um, so that, that was a great one. Um, I think probably my my fondest memory of a game was when we played against Ireland in Croke Park in 2010. Yeah, of um, course. We had a very mediocre Six Nations. In fact, we'd lost we'd lost the, uh, the first four games, I think, or three games. We drew in the drawn the fourth, and we were going into like our final game with with really kind of like nothing to lose, with no hope or expectation from anyone outside the group. Um, to play against Ireland in Croke Park in the last ever rugby match in Croke Park, mm. 87,000 people. Um, I think they pretty much, you know, cemented themselves as the, the triple crown winners in their heads. And we just went out and played really well. And it was actually on, actually on YouTube not that long ago. Um, they replayed the, the live game and it was, it was great to watch and great, great memories to watch again. And, um, Dan Parrish hitting that kick from the touchline with a couple of minutes to go. And when the final whistle went, I mean, huge elation. Um, so that's, that's, that's going to be one of my, mm. my favourite rugby memories, um, and, you know, not just in a Scotland jersey. Yeah, that, that penalty kick was absolutely unbelievable. I think we, we like, retweeted a, a photo, or a video of the of the try that uh, you set up for Johnny Beattie, and, yeah, people were going absolutely mad for it. Just just that un- yeah. unbelievable uh, memory, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, you know, that finish from Beattie was, was kind of Lomu-esque, and, <laughs> I mean, if anyone scores that try, then that's, that's, that's a phenomenal effort. But um, yeah, yeah, it was just every, everything again seemed to seemed to go pretty well for us that day. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think uh, there's there's a few questions that we try and ask all our guests, um, which we'll is kind of rattle through. But um, kind of who who in your career with 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 Glasgow and Scotland were was kind of your favourite player to to play with, and maybe the the best player that you played alongside. Um, I think so <clears throat> I often get asked this question and, and often get uh, sort of chastised for my response but <laughs> playing, playing with Parksy um, he was he was by no means everyone's favourite cup of tea um, mm. a cup of tea but he was just a really good positive person to play with um, right. a really good team man you take, take the rugby away from it but just um, a phenomenal a phenomenally positive and good-natured person mm-hmm. um, who never had a bad word to say about anyone, and, and was was often the kind of the glue that kept the team together. And you know, if you talk about the rugby, yeah, okay, probably his style of play didn't suit everyone, but he won Scotland and Glasgow more games, more or less single-handedly, than anyone else I can recall. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, on a wet night, you want you want him on the team team sheet because he's he had the ability just to pin teams back. So I'd say him, but then I guess I played quite a lot of my career at Glasgow and Scotland with Max Evans in the centre, mm-hmm. um, and we were very, very contrasting players. I spoke about my kind of strength being, you know, carting the ball up 
and that kind of was able to either whether it through, be through decoy running or you know multi-phase rugby he was then able to sort of live off me that way and I think we just had a very good chemistry together mm-hmm. um, both on and, on and off the pitch and so I had very good memories of playing with Max in the centre and what about the the sort of the the best or most impressive guy that you came up against maybe maybe in general and also like you know on a man to man basis yeah um i think i think um my first my first few caps were against australia and sterling mortlock was with 13 at the time. yeah um and uh, my first few caps were 13 so uh playing against him was a huge learning curve for me um uh, because he was world class um and then just watching the video replays of or the video analysis of the game, just watching him as a 13, his work rate, particularly off the ball, um, the positions that he would get himself into by just absolutely working and working and working. Right. And then realizing, you know, that that was what I aspire to do. And it's not, it's not luck that he is sort of on the receiving end or making such good impact on the game. It's because he works like no one I've seen before. Hmm. Um, I played against, I played against Sonny Bill um, at Murrayfield, and it was his debut for the All Blacks, and he oh, wow. came out of that. Um, <laughs> and that was that was hugely impressive. I'd like to say there was a time where it doesn't really matter who you're with a man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It was, yeah, that's, that's what I'll, I'll cling on to. <laughs> um, but I guess I, uh, in, in a one-off game, one of the toughest opponents I'd have, and, and, and it comes as a surprise, is, is Ricky Flutie. Oh, really? In England, um, yeah, yeah. At Twickenham, when we lost, I just, I just could not. Could not keep up with him. Um, really? He was he had a great game. He, had a, he has great footwork. Um, he's a good link player, and yeah, I felt I felt very very mediocre uh, playing against him that day. So I guess those um, positionally, those three guys were were up there. We've got quite a kind of. You know, we're playing against Leinster, sorry, a few, a few times in the, the Derby Centre schools, um, playing them sort of twice twice a year and four yeah. times if we withdrew them in Europe. It was always a huge honour, but never, never hugely enjoyable because they just they were so good together. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, them as well. Mm, nice one. Um, slight, slightly more unusual question, but um, who's the the best? Um, who, who's the best boozer that you've kind of socialised with uh, off off the pitch? Obviously. Um, the best boozer. Well, I, I grew up. Um, I went to Dollar Academy. Uh, went to Dor and uh, spent a lot of my time with John Barkley and became very close to him. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that he's he's by any stretch the, the best boozer because he's actually pretty pretty pathetic at boozing, but um plenty of very good uh, amusing nights out with him. Um best boozer wise I mean I played in again the Scotland team, Jim Hamilton's the chunks and, yeah. and Dan Parks was always up there. Um in fact Parks he was always probably the most entertaining just because he's hilariously funny um, and the next morning his recovery would always take a lot longer uh, I think his body didn't like to, to get rid of the alcohol uh, before <laughs> his time so recovery sessions and swimming pools around the UK and, and, <laughs> and further afield were, were, were quite were quite entertaining when, when Parsi was there oh, that sounds absolutely great um, great mate Th- thanks so much for your time that's been absolutely brilliant um, I think everyone's going to absolutely love listening to that so uh, yeah just huge huge thanks for that Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.